Wrestle Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome inside the Wrestling War Zone and Monday Night Wars Podcast Retrospective Series. I am JT, and joining me as ever is my partner Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Fun night. Nice crisp fall tinge in the air. Um, yeah. What's that? What's crisp there? I think it's like sixties. Let me check. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it's been it's been nice. It's been really nice this week. Uh, it, it's felt you had a little bit of a autumn breeze, so it's it's been very enjoyable. Oh yeah, fifty nine right now. Oh, that is that's it's colder, uh, warmer here. It's sixty one out. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to get in the forties. Get down. Tonight, but. I was going to say, well, I think we're dipping into forty nine. I think either tonight or tomorrow. So there you go. Bundle it up. But uh, I think the action may be hot in the war zone tonight. I say. Yeah. As uh, as uh, uh, you uh, you kind of preference this week's shows uh, when you watched it ahead of me, and uh, I think we're gonna have some dissension. Oh, okay. In the war zone tonight. So Sounds just, about right. Just a preference. Just a prefer. Uh, you know, preview of what what's in store here. Okay. Not a big fan of the studio. <laughs> Uh well we'll get to it. We can get to okay. it. Okay. All right. Well I got, I got a lot to say. I got a lot right, to well, say tonight. Let's get right into it then. We're not gonna waste any time. Uh let's start over on Nitro, because it is the follow-up to Halloween Havoc, which is our last episode. So if you're yeah. joining us for the first time, you may want to pause and head back and check that out. Thought we uh had a fun time covering that show, digging in deep and of course with the shaky payoff to the Mega Powers feud, but Let's see how they bounce off of that now here on October 28th, 1996. We are live from the America West Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. We get our opening animation. Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco welcome us in. Larry has a Superman shirt under a blazer. <laughs> it's quite the look. Yeah, I was, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know why, but when I saw Larry, my first thought was that maybe his luggage got lost. <laughs> That's all he could scrounge up. Just grabbed it from the airport or something. It was just a very odd look. Like right. He's been wearing these wild, uh, kind of designer type shirts and. Well, and he's finally Superman. in the Southwest. Like this is the time to wear the Southwest shirt that he's been like wearing a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a very weird. Yeah. Um. Look, I I don't I don't peg. Uh, Larry is a big comics guy. So. No, you don't think he's uh, in, in the midst of the DC Marvel War? <laughs> no. He's not arguing with Sean Kidd maybe over Shazam. Ben, ben, no. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe Ben Moore can uh, confirm that he's a, yeah. <laughs> a, big, a big DC guy. That's why he had to rep uh, Superman. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, we recap what happened last night at Havoc, including the arrival of Rowdy Roddy Piper. We think it's our opening match. Featuring Lord Steven Regal defending the television title against Juventud Guerrera. Pretty cool match on paper. Always good to see Hoovy yeah. in the ring. Regal struts out with his title. Larry says he just returned from defending it overseas. Tony knows that Mark Curtis is the referee here. Have we had him yet, or is this his debut? No, yeah, we've had him. We've had him uh, for about a month now. Okay, yeah. just a little bit. Oh, Brian Hildebrand. Uh, we mm-hmm. see Sting sitting up near the back luxury boxes. He's dressed in black and white. Tony and Larry are shocked to see him. Larry calls him a lost soul. We start with some feeling out, some basic mat work. The crowd's distracted as the NWO street team come through the crowd with picket signs. We see six with them. 
He has a microphone. He welcomes everyone to NWO Nitro. Says they're taking over because they get the world title, the U.S. title, and soon they're going to have the Cruiserweight title as well. He tells Sting he better make the right choice as the NWO is for life. Larry says Hogan and DiBiase have upped their offer to Sting, as the rumors go. Hoovy works the arm as the NWO crew march away. He gets a head scissors takeover and a dropkick, keeping Regal rattled. Hoovy slams Regal and tries a 450, but Regal dodges it. Larry says Sting looks pathetic. Regal finishes the match with a Regal stretch. Uh, this this is a sad miss. We just didn't get to see enough. It was eaten up by the NWO. Uh, I think these two could have a pretty fun big little match if we really get to see the grinding and the aerial play out more. We did get some glimpses of it. Uh, Hoovy got a little offense in, and I like the finish. Just We just didn't get enough out of it. It was just background noise. So I went two stars, um, but it was definitely disappointing. It, not their fault. Yeah, I mean, I want to start in three quarters. Um, yeah, I mean, it was quick. I, I liked what we got, but yeah, the uh, emphasis was certainly more on six in the NWO mm-hmm. instead of the uh, movie or Regal. We hadn't seen Regal in a while. I looked, he was on the 819 Nitro, so it's been yep. over two months. I um, guess, I mean, was he really touring, I guess? Yeah, yeah, he was in New Japan. He has a great match with Hashimoto. Mm-hmm. I think around this time, it's either 95 or 96. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, he was in New Japan right now. He's wearing the maroon trunks, which I don't know if we've seen that yet. I think he's been in his like blue blood blues. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so this is the debut of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, good arm work. Um, Six basically calls out that he's going to be the cruiserweight champ. Kind of weird to do that with a television title match, but there you go. Uh, Hoovy looked good wiping out on the 450. Regal gives that awesome response and then uh, immediately locks on the Regal stretch. A uh, couple, couple of quick little notes. Uh, one, Sting Hogan still in the intro, so no problem there. Sting is wearing a, a, an FX studio shirt, which is kind of weird, like FX in 1996. Um, I don't know. It had to be a very new channel then, I would guess. I would think so, yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, Phoenix as a wrestling town. Um, it it seemed like a it seems like a neglected town. So I did some digging, and uh, they had been one Nitro already here in December of '95, and then they're here now. They don't come back for another two years for nitro like almost two years to the day uh, which is odd um and then i was like well is wc uh, is wwf more of a phoenix you know mm-hmm. town because i knew like you know the the thing that comes to mind is bundy attacking hogan right. giving him the avalanche um but so i looked at that online too with cage match and WWF had really neglected Phoenix too, so they had a wrestling challenge taping in '93, and then they did one house show in '95. They did one house show in June of '96 in Phoenix, but they don't have a Raw in Phoenix until this would be what two weeks before WrestleMania 14 in 1998. So that's kind of crazy. Like 1997, Phoenix is just neglected by both companies Um, i always think it seems like wcw is always there in my mind for some reason i don't know maybe this one just stood out for some reason in my head but i feel like it's somewhere that they go like i remember nitros 
And, and like, isn't it? Is it Raw or Nitro did something with the gorilla at one point? Maybe that's like in the 2000s, but maybe I don't know. Yeah, it feels like it's somewhere that they are more, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it I, I definitely think like in recent times they've had, you know, like Royal Rumbles and SummerSlam 03s <laughs> and stuff like that, like and then WrestleMania 26, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's been in the area. Um, uh, so they've had more like high profile shows. Um, I guess this was kind of around the time when Phoenix was really growing, though. Like, the Suns were relatively new. Uh, Calodies were just starting. So, mm-hmm. there you go. So, yeah, that's my, my Phoenix uh, <laughs> research for the week. But it was interesting. I mean, because I thought this crowd, we'll get to it. I thought this crowd was really hot. Throughout yeah, they show. were good. Yeah. So, so, I know we talked about, like, uh, I can't even remember the stupid town in Minnesota they were at last last nitro but we talked about how you know that was a dead town and kind of right. didn't deserve to have the, yeah they didn't really deserve to have another nitro after their performance and i thought that this was the opposite like i would have kind of struck while the iron seemed hot here in phoenix all right tony's at ringside he tries to get regal uh to talk but first he knows that stings in the crowd and then sting walks off after he hears his name and we go to break with no regal <laughs> interview so obviously it was just a re- way to get tony to announce Sting was there out of the whole crowd so they yeah see him. um this was it was a little weird though like i didn't i didn't quite um know if regal uh just like goof that he was supposed to say a couple things to tony right and was like not a position or what also um larry does the narration of the um the replay to set this up and craps on rico which i love like he's still he's still in still 94 yeah, yeah. <laughs> still has that 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 mode where he calls him pompous and all that old school never give yeah. up that feud yeah yeah all right, we get a what the big boys wear ad. Uh, we face the fear of talking in tongues, uh, which is pretty funny. And then we get a, it is for the NWO t-shirt, 1995 plus 595 shipping and handling. Uh, Tony then narrates clips of Luger versus Anderson from Halloween Havoc. And that brings us to our next match, which is Diamond Dallas Page taking on Mean Mike Enos. DDP heads out. Tony says Eddie Guerrero suffered broken ribs last night. Larry says that family should just give up. None of them could beat DDP. Enos rumbles out. Nice little spot for him. Page slaps him to get going, but Enos ducks a punch and clotheslines Page over the top and flies out with him. Uh, kind of an old-school Cactus Jack clothesline. That was a cool spot. DDP shoots Enos into the barricade as Larry shits on Enos, wasting time. Back of the ring, Page gets a sit-out powerbomb for two and chokes away. Page gets the top rope clothesline as we see Hall and Nash in the crowd rallying the fans. Enos blocks a diamond cutter and gets a belly-to-belly for two. Enos snaps off a neckbreaker, drops a leg as Tony blames Colonel Parker for Halloween Havoc, uh, Halloween Havoc for Halloween Heat losing the titles. Enos sets a snake eyes and a short clothesline and beckons to the outsiders to come to the ring. Got a ballsy from him. Uh, Enos gets a nice power slam for two and keeps glaring at the NWO. Maybe he's calling back to Hall's debut, perhaps. Enos loads up another power slam, but Paige slips free. And it's a diamond cutter for the win as we see the outsiders cheering and giving the diamond symbol. Uh, fun match. I thought Enos actually showed up pretty well and maybe could be an ele- elevated fit. They went for it. Page is smooth as usual. Clean finish. Just a good solid TV match with some heat and an easy flow. And then the NWO stuff. This is where it wasn't as over you know, dominant like it was in the opener. But we yeah. still get get it across a little bit. So I went two and a half in the match. It was it was solid. 
you may think I'm Marty Sleaze here. I I went three and a quarter on this match. Oof, I, right. I really I really liked it. Um, I thought for like four minutes they did about as much as they could have possibly done, um, and it was a great like power matchup. Also involved an angle. This was this was. Um, and again, and again, a lot of it's retrospect. So, like, this starts off one of my absolute, like, favorite angles where the outsiders recruit Paige. Um, <laughs> so, I know the payoff. Um, but I, I did like the way this kind of started, uh, kind of inauspiciously. Well, were you surprised but, it starts as early as it does? Because I think the payoff's not to like, February, so. Uh, yeah, January-ish, yeah. So, I, I, I knew it was, I knew it was a couple months. Like they, they go, they go pretty mm-hmm. slow burn on this. Um, but I, I, yeah, it was, I probably would have expected it around World War Three. So it was maybe like three or four weeks before I kind of thought uh, mm-hmm. or, or recalled it starting. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that uh, opening clothesline was really wild. Crowd gave that a great reaction. Um, and just the effort, I thought, from both men was really there. DDP got sent hard into the rail. Um, you know, Paige gets that power bomb, which looked impressive on someone as big as Enos. Uh, he goes up top. Paige does. Hits a clothesline. Um, and then uh, I like that Enos blocked the diamond cutter and hits that overhead belly to belly that Paige took a nice bump for. Um, the rude awakening looked <laughs> good for Enos. And then the big leg drop slammed onto Paige. Uh, and then I actually liked Enos going after the outsiders. Like, he kept, like, pointing to them. At one point, he, like, uh, does the thing where he sits on the middle rope and invites them to come down and whatnot. Uh, short, short-arm clothesline, power slam, running power slam, uh, being blocked was smart. Like, this was where Larry was good and uh, pointing out that Paige kind of hooked his ankles to block that. Uh, and then it immediately goes into that reverse with the diamond cutter uh and then you get the outsiders who were funny cheering ddp as he won um so i mean i actually like i was trying to rack my brain but i mean this might be my biggest surprise of any match Mm -hmm. we've watched so far just because i mean we've had matches that have been good but it's kind of mostly been competitors you think um, I did not expect a four-minute Enos versus Page match to, to uh, <laughs> yeah. be this fun. So I, I was I was really basking in the in that and enjoyed it a lot. All right, I mean it was good. <laughs> it was good. All right, we got stills of Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio from Halloween Havoc. We then head back to the ring as speaking of Marty Sleeves as Fave jumping Jim Powers <laughs> taking on Dean Malenko. Uh, Powers jogs out with Teddy Long, of course. Uh, you know, maybe a chance for him tonight. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Malenko's icy focus as he stomps out with gold. We see AC Green of the Suns in the crowd. Tony plugs a big opener to the NBA season this Friday night in TNT. The LA Lakers taking on the Phoenix Suns. So there you go. Larry makes fun of basketball and they get on uh, AC here for having an NWO shirt on. So they're not happy with him. And uh, also, of course, one of the most famous virgins <laughs> in history, along with Dawson from Dawson's Green, perhaps <laughs> Donna Martin and right. AC Green. Uh, we get a quick, we get a quick flurry back and forth to start that settles into a Jim Powers side headlock. 
Powers continues to use his power to ground Malenko, toss him around. Psychosis shows up in the aisle to watch the match, and Tony says he's now returned from his injury. Powers works the arm, but Dean elbows free and gets to work with precision strikes. Tony plugs the Halloween Havoc encores this week. As we know, it's Nick Patrick, of course, is the ref for this one. Why not? Teddy Long's out there. He's going to be the ref. Mm-hmm. Powers breaks a headlock, but eats a hard knee as Larry brags about winning big at the casinos. Powers battles right back and rattles Malenko in the corner, gets two on a clothesline, and then again on a big right hand. Teddy bitches about a slow count as the injured Patrick keeps grabbing his neck. Powers gets a power slam, but Patrick doesn't count. Instead, he's arguing with Teddy and holds his neck while he does it. Powers comes over, but Malenko gets a jackknife roll-up and picks up the win. And that is followed by the Pep Boys Power Pin of the Week replay. Uh, again, this is solid. Powers gets screwed by Patrick. He just gets, He's going to get long out of there because he keeps getting hosed every match. By this point, you think he learned. Like, all right, stay in the back until you're done with the feud. I don't need you out right. there. I mean, at, at this point, you figure he should be a champion and undefeated in all these matches because he has them all won every time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not the strongest showing from Malenko. May have been better to let Powers work someone else over for the storyline versus Dean. But uh, two and a quarter. Again, it's just dominated by the Nick Patrick, Teddy Long stuff. Yeah, I think this is like our third match that on paper kind of seems interesting. I would say this is, well, I don't know. I mean, like I said, Paige Enos didn't seem very interesting and really over-delivered, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of this this definitely looked like a styles clash between the technician and uh, uh, and Malenko and the straight powerhouse into powers. And overall, I thought this was fine. I went two and a half. It, it was a fine basic match. Uh, I you know, as we talked about the stuff with Teddy and Nick Patrick are uh, starting to grate on me pretty heavily mm-hmm. and um that continued a lot here um I'll, I'll say at least tonight uh whereas before i thought teddy has been pretty dumb and actually cost his guys um right i mean here he didn't do nothing so it was blatant like patrick had no justification he was just crooked so i guess there was a little bit of development there but um uh, psychosis being inserted was a, a little odd, but um, I mean, well, I think maybe co- they set him up for Malenko, maybe. I know, but then you yeah. you already had six making a claim yeah. to the cruiserweight title. Yeah, you get Ray later, so there's there's a lot of people uh, campaigning <laughs> for Malenko. He's like this big gun down person all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought the match did a pretty good job in um giving just a basic structure that uh dean's technical prowess was not able to always overcome the just the uh, power advantage that powers had uh so they do basic spots where dean tries to bring him down and powers just kind of muscles out of it um until dean is able to uh to gain the advantage I, there was there was one spot in the match where i thought there was a nice recovery where dean barely is able to leapfrog over powers um and then he's a little late and turning around and they could have kind of awkwardly just like went face to face with each other and very quickly powers got a punch that dean took a bump for and then powers um Got the pin uh, near fall off of that, hit the knee lift and the uh, power slam. So I, I was impressed with that. Um, yeah, I mean, Larry, I think, looks a little dumb saying that, uh, you know, Nick was justified a little bit, like saying that uh, 
Teddy was out of position or whatever and all this. So it it is what it is. I'm I'm ready for Teddy and Patrick to be a thing of the past. But the match itself was solid two and a half. Yeah, it's like I feel like we just need to take the step with Patrick at some point here. It's yeah, this is it's been stalling for a bit. I, I feel like they try a little bit later. Um, we'll get to that when we discuss it. But it almost felt like they were shifting gears, which I think was for the better later. But we'll see. All right, we get a WCW magazine out with Sting, so we can mark that one off. We then get our yeah. WCW Saturday Nights rundown well, preview. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, just quickly. So this this issue of the magazine, again, it's October 28th. So they had the giant feature on him turning to the NWO. Um, that happened September 2nd. Um, inside story on the Dungeon of Doom. And then exclusive photos from the Clash in August. So we're <laughs> still, you know, we're two months behind. So, that's pretty standard for the rest of yeah, yeah yeah it's just it's just so funny like in the consumption of today like mm-hmm. to think that but yeah that was standard protocol all right now we get our WCW Saturday Night Preview Rock and Roll Express taking on the Faces of Fear yeah Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho and then Jimmy Graffiti Big Bubba and Kevin Sullivan all in action yeah so uh the first two matches I thought that they announced were interesting on paper so um, the last few Saturday nights they haven't really given us actual matches they kind of just talked about the talent that'll be on the show mm-hmm. so I like that they go a couple matches here alright we get stills of the horsemen and faces of fear from Halloween Havoc we head back to the ring as Ricky Morton takes on Jeff Jarrett interesting little match here uh, Larry and Tony talk about the interest with inch issues within the Dungeon of Doom. Something going on with Sullivan and Woman. Morton comes out. Jarrett struts down. Again, pretty cool match. Tony talks about the Horsemen and Jarrett helping each other last night. Jarrett starts with a hip toss as Tony gets into the main event from last night and thinks it was a tainted match and Savage should be champion. Morton comes back and works the arm for a bit as Tony's ready to talk about ticket sales for World War III in Norfolk coming soon. Tickets on sale tomorrow at the Scope and via Ticketmaster. Jarrett takes over, works the neck, slams Morton into the ropes, and stomps around. Jarrett gets a vertical suplex and keeps pounding away with strikes. Morton tries to punch back, but Jarrett slams him down and gets a high cross body. Morton rolls through for two. Jarrett hits a swinging neckbreaker and tries to figure four, but Morton cradles for two to block. Morton then lands a punch and gets a sunset flip for two, but Jarrett hooks his leg, hits the shinbreaker, and finishes Morton with the figure four. This is okay. It was a bit disjointed. Uh, again, we've talked about this consistently that Jarrett's heat just does, isn't there despite it being a good role and he's doing a good, good job. The crowd is just not seen into him, even a hot crowd like tonight. Uh, maybe he just needed a true heel to battle with. Like Morton kind of did what he could. It felt like, again, maybe just mismatched guys, just like the last match. Maybe have Malenko versus Morton. And I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's a different way to go about this. But I ended up going two stars. Uh, it just never felt like it fully got in gear. Uh, three for me. I like this one. <laughs> Um, way off tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I so like this this match. I I can see I can be higher than consensus mm-hmm. on. I I mean, I think Enos and Paige, quite frankly, is a, a great match for the move perverts. But um, th- this one's kind of my style of match. Uh, these two have uh, you would think like a lot of history just from. USWA in Memphis. Uh, again, I looked it up. They'd never had a singles match together, so that that was 
interesting tidbit to me. Uh, hadn't had any interaction period since 1989. That 1989 feud's really cool, where um, Jarrett is a babyface teaming with Lawler, and Morton comes in as a referee when Lawler faces uh, Dutch Mantel, and Morton turns heel. And does a, a, a really good heel. I, I know if you listen to Seven Months of Danger, they're not mm-hmm. too high on uh, Richard Morton. Um, I mean, he, he's okay in that role. But I do think right. Morton's really fun as a skeevy heel uh, in the Memphis. It's it's pretty short. He's only there for like a couple months till he right. drills. Uh, but a fun run. Um, so this is the first time they've interacted since then. So seven years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this uh, I, I I thought the crowd reacted better to Jarrett here than we've seen as a face, and just as far as like a Southern kind of back and forth match uh, that had some psychology of uh, you know like Jarrett instituting some of the stuff from the Horsemen, such as taking advantages and shortcuts, um, worked for me as well as the kind of I would call them quintessential southern cutoffs, uh, where like when Morton puts his head down, you get the spinning neck breaker, and then when Jarrett goes for the figure four, Morton rolls him up to a small package, which is something he always did in his matches versus Flair. Uh, of course, I think Morton still has really great punches, so that that was uh, on display tonight. Um, and some good near falls by Morton until Jarrett's able to gain the advantage. I like the first time he went for the figure four just cold without working on the leg at all. Uh, that's when it gets uh, rolled up into the small package. When he slows things down and actually does a little work on the knee uh, to kind of tenderize the leg of Morton, then he's able to hook on the figure four and get the victory. So. Uh, again, like this is a, a kind of a Chad special match, but it's one I enjoyed three stars. All right. The giant shows up. He's out in the crowd. He says, Jarrett, we think he's in the horseman and got the torch from Flair, but they didn't pass him anything besides a wet match. He had him in the choke slam, but Flair made a save and that will not happen again because the horsemen are a pathetic band of rats that are afraid and fight scared. Jared's day is coming. He won't be saved from another choke slam next time. And that is that pretty good promo from giant. Tony then talks to Jarrett and wants Giant to come down and finish things right now, but Giant's already gone. Jarrett talks about his big night in Vegas. He said he did, he, he did all he said he would do, just like he has since he arrived. He shoes off the PA that's winding him down and then issues a challenge to Hollywood Hogan and the NWO and says their walls will crumble. But for that to happen, we need WCW to be united. He didn't expect groups, factions, and cliques with the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen fighting each other, Luger and the Horsemen battling, and if Sting doesn't want to lead, him and Flair will. Jarrett was born into wrestling and has more to lose than anyone, and Hogan will go down. Just like other powder puff organizations go down, WCW will be a long time. Will be around a long time. They've been here since 1905. So I thought here Jarrett continued to be locked in. Another great promo. Uh, he's he's been really impressive, honestly, since his arrival. Um, both you know solid in the ring, and I think he's been really good on the mic as the you know defender of of tradition and legacy and wrestling against the NWO. Yeah, we were. Uh, I was very high on both these promos. Um, the giant promo. I think it's my favorite promo he's done, kind of standalone. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, you know, like when he was the champion, he was kind of good for short bursts, but a lot of it was Jimmy Hart leading the charge. Um, and then we've talked about 
his emotions been there with the turn with the NWO, but like him at the announce booth where he's just trying to spit it out and tell his story and all this stuff and keeps getting cut off. Like he seems to have a lot on his mind and a lot of things he wants to say. He just don't know how to uh, apply that out. And here I thought he was pretty uh, succinct in getting over his message, um, kind of putting over his presence as a big demeanor. And uh, overall, I was very impressed with him. And then Jarrett follows that up with a great like rally the troops promo where he brings in history, uh, takes a shot at WWF and Memphis and whoever else by calling them powder proof. Um, and, you know, really talks about the decision that's causing the NWO to get the advantage. And I mean, everything he says here is correct. Like, I, I love baby faces that you know, fired up and address things that are actually happening um, and try to give some resolution to that. So they, these two promos I was uh, very happy with. Okay, we get back to the ring for our next match. It is tag team action. This high voltage is here to take on the amazing French Canadians. Tony runs down with still left to come here tonight as high voltage come out. French Canadians come out. There's no Colonel Parker tonight. And we haven't seen this team in a while either. Tony talks him up as threats to everyone, including the NWO. Jacques calls the fans coyote heads, and then they start to sing the national anthem. But High Voltage attacks. Tony notes that Phoenix stole a Canadian hockey team, so a little bad blood. High Voltage cleans out the French Canadians with a flurry as we count down to hour two. They quick tag a double team over Ouellette's arm as hour two hits, and Bischoff, Tanae, and Heenan pop in. They're resetting things as the match goes on. They talk about Halloween Havoc as the French Canadians take over and beat on Chaos. Bobby talks about Piper and says Hogan is still thinking about what he said. French Canadians work through all the classic offense. We get a loud USA chant. They hit the La Bombe de Quebec and then load up the tower. But the nasties hit the ring. Nasty boys hit the ring and attack everyone to cause a no contest. Uh, not much here. Just kind of basic stuff. We get a few fun French Canadian spots. The nasties are clearly trying to reestablish themselves after getting embarrassed by the new world order. We'll get to that promo in a minute, Chad. The match itself I want to start at. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the match isn't really anything. Let me, I want to start and have to. Um, yeah, like you said, a couple cool double teams from the French Canadians. Uh, keep wanting to type Pierre, so that's going to be a constant problem whenever <laughs> they're on the screen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's mainly all it is. Like, chaos works over the arm of Carl Ouellette a little bit. Um, but, uh, not, not. Not a lot of uh, offense, I would say, for high voltage before the Canadians do the double stun gun to take over. And then uh, I, did, I did like the line. It was kind of throwaway, but Eric says that they demand to be called only the amazing French Canadians, not just French Canadians, not just amazing, but the amazing French Canadians. That was pretty good, like <laughs> dickish heel move. Um Nasties come in, like you said, that's really just, uh, I mean, it's really to save face for them uh, after they got beat down by the NWO. And, you know, we talked about it, the Nasties are pretty washed by this point. But if you're going to have them kind of interrupt a match, I don't think high voltage versus uh, the amazing French Canadians is the worst choice for them to come back in and clear house. So it was fine for what it was. 
All right, the Nasty Boys grab the mic, and Sags talks about what happened with Hogan a couple weeks back. Says Hogan lied to them, but they don't need to belong anywhere. Just like Sting in the Rafters or Roddy Piper, they can do what they want. Nob says they may not be liked or even wanted, but they are nasty and have been since before WCW or the NWO because they were born nasty. Nob says his good friend put a knife in his back, and Hall and Nash must have messed with Hogan's brain, and they are ready to rumble. Interesting stuff. I guess we'll see where the nasties kind of lie going forward. Besides staying, they're really kind of our first like neutral entity overall. So uh, and Bischoff pretty much dismissed them like the entire time here. So he didn't, he didn't seem to have much faith in the nasties. But um, I mean, you've been a little bit more into the nasty stuff. So we know Marty Sleeves love the nasty stuff. But uh, yeah. any thoughts on this? I mean, I've liked Sags as a garbage brawler. Um, I mean, as a promo acumen, it's not great. Uh, I did like Knob saying there's a cat in the rafter. Um, and then uh, the, the one thing I thought was odd about the promo, I mean, it was all right. But uh, I didn't like Knob saying they were nasty before WCW or NWO was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Because in the Freaking promo right before this, Jarrett tries to equate like essentially Gotch and Hackenschmidt as WCW, like saying we've been around since 1905. Right. Like obviously he meant the NWA try to lineage, but you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> come on. This guy just talked about how long of a history WCW had, and then you got Nob saying he was nasty before WCW <laughs> even existed and all this. So that was a little bit of a disconnect. I, I don't think it matters. I don't think most people would analyze it like I did, where I was trying to write notes and then called that called me off guard. But uh, still, not not a great line to throw right. out. So it was fine. I mean. Uh, I think the nasties at this point, like they're, I, I could see them being good utility players. I, I just, and I don't know how much longer they'll be kind of in the tag title scene, but I do think that's a little bit beneath like where they need to be. Like maybe now that the outsiders are the champions, uh, the nasties got punked out of the NWO. You want to give, a little resolution to that, so mm-hmm. they did a little bit of a pass. Um, but as we get through the months and start getting into like 1997, I just don't think I'm gonna be on board if the nasties are kind of in the tag title picture. Right. So we'll see. I, I really don't remember either way. So. Yeah, I think it's probably time for a change. Honestly, like I'm surprised they never jumped back. Like, well, I know Sags ends up getting hurt. Uh, but like yeah. them in 97, the tag division is pretty weak in WWF. I think when you look at the direction that they start to go in 97 with a little bit more kind of brawling and wildness, and you look at like LOD goes back, I'm surprised that. And it was actually, I mean, yeah, it was always a rumor. Like I remember on the Sushi X hotline and everything else, like the Nasty Boys are <laughs> returning to WWF was like always a constant rumor throughout 97. So it seems like they would have been a fit there given where things had. I wonder if it's just. You know, Nobbs's cushy contract and being buddies with Hogan. I think that carried a lot of right, that's you know, true, weight. Yeah. So. All right, to the ring we go. Jimmy Graffiti back with us again this week, taking on Ray Mysterio. So he's kind of making the rounds of the cruiserweights. Yep. Some sleeper potential if he can stay hot here. Ray bounces out as Bischoff talks about Piper, says he called the Nastra five minutes of pay-per-view time live so he could confront Hogan without being edited. He's not under contract, and he's got no further commitments to be on WCW programming. 
Graffiti hits a sit-out powerbomb right away, gets two, keeps hammering. Ray comes back with a monkey flip and drop kicks Graffiti. So he comes off the middle rope with a body block. Ray hits a springboard moonsault for two and then takes Graffiti outside with a head scissors. Graffiti takes over on the floor as Bischoff puts over Ray for working through injuries from last night. Graffiti barrels into Ray with a somersault senton from the apron, and they head back inside. Graffiti pancakes Ray and stomps away for two. Bischoff says Sting looks spooky and dark as Graffiti cranks a chin lock. Bischoff says he doesn't want to keep apologizing, but he feels he owes one to Sting. Ray comes back with a dropkick, and it's a springboard Rana for the win. Again, a, a fun little match. Graffiti's a good base, hit a solid power spots. Ray was on point and grinds through while injured. So I went two and a half here. I don't think it really got to the point of like graffiti Malenko from a week ago. It was a little bit more straightforward, uh, but they were really selling the Ray injury. Yeah, I went two and a half to a fun, another fun kind of three minute match. Uh, graffiti's kind of being a sneaky, fun uh, enhancer guy, which I think we thought we said that last week, but he's, uh, he's continuing like his run. It's, it's he's been enjoyable so far. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked good here with his power offense being a base. And also his dives, like the uh, cannonball senton from the apron to the floor, looked wild, but uh, looked impressive, too. So, uh, overall, pretty fun little match to uh, give Ray a championship win, you know, under his belt, and he can go from there. Okay, Bischoff, Heenan, and Tanay recap some of the stuff from Havoc. We then get the NWO paid ad, the usual one, by the shirt and hat. Mm-hmm. Lee Marshall is on the road. This week he's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He sets up next week's Nitro. Tickets are on sale now. He's at a Nitro Halloween party and says someone just came in wearing a weasel costume. So starting to the weasel jokes here, but pretty basic stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is actually one of the biggest. We marked the road reports uh, when they started, but this Mm -hmm. is the first week we have a direct shot at Bobby with the (laughs) weasel commentary. So this will be a a years long running gag here. Yeah. We don't have any back and forth yet. That'll come. Yeah. Yeah. All right. AC green is mouthing off and Nick Patrick about the NWO Bischoff hypes up the sun's Lakers opener. So AC is, I mean, he's been like wild all night at ringside. He's been this. I mean, yeah, bless him. He was into the product, mm-hmm. but one like they want to promote him, and he's wearing the NWO shirt, which don't help. Uh, so it's kind of like you know, like Tony's like, "Oh, great to have AC Green here," and then <laughs> yeah. like Larry's like, "He's wearing that stupid shirt," and Tony <laughs> has to be like, "Oh, I didn't even notice," and now, oh my goodness, he is. That seems stupid. It would have been better if he, like, ripped off a WCW shirt halfway through yeah, and had it on or, just, or something. You know, I mean, yeah. can this guy not wear – I mean, is there – I guess there isn't. They're trying to make it cool, I think, yeah. He, he didn't want the faces of fear where the big boys play shirt. <laughs> Other thing is uh, – let me look up. How tall was AC? Uh, He's I mean, pretty tall. Isn't he, like, 6'10", at least, I think? Yeah. I mean, he played power look, forward, I think, in six center. 6'9", yeah. is, is listed height. So this dude was in the front row standing up the whole <laughs> freaking show like can you imagine yeah. sitting in the seat behind him and his buddy that was also standing up the whole time like i don't know like on one hand it's always nice like i mean it's not like ac green some superstar but it's always nice to see somebody engaged and he was right he was certainly in but i think yeah. in in phoenix at that point i think he was a pretty big star like like wasn't he one of their top guys like during that stretch? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think like Marley had probably done moved out. 
And then Charles, I think, was still there, right? He got traded yet. Yeah, so Green, God, he started a lot earlier than I would have guessed. He was drafted in 85. No, yeah, so Barkley was done with Phoenix. So that 96-97 Phoenix team has to be pretty pretty putrid. Let me look. Well, Green is with them in 93 when they make – it was right after the finals. finals. No, it's after. He signed after. Right after, yeah. Yeah. But he had like his one of his best years in ninety three and ninety four. I mean, yeah, they sure. went forty and forty two. That's better than I would have thought, actually. Ooh, he gets traded there. to Dallas like like a month later after this. Oh, what a weird roster! The ninety six ninety seven roster is such a motley crew. So Steve Nash just had gotten drafted. Danny Manning's on there. Jason Kidd, Kevin Johnson, uh, Cedric Sabalas, Rex Chapman, that dumbass is on the roster. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, just a weird, a weird assortment of talent. But they, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they ended up number seven in the, in the, uh, in the West. Yeah, definitely an overachievement there. Yeah, I just wouldn't have thought without Barkley they'd have made the playoffs. But I guess like Kid and KJ maybe carried it on. They actually put well, the West was Sonics the, in the first round of five games. The West was pretty weak um, for for years, like in the '90s. So yeah, like I think mm-hmm. routinely teams that you know were middling would make those last few seeds. I mean the East drubbed them all through the 90s they didn't really turn until the 2000s when the spurs yeah they're i mean they're under four uh the sixth seed was the timberwolves that year they were also 40 and 42 so only five teams were over 500 in the west yeah it's uh west was always pretty pretty bad there the clipper the clippers were 36 and 46 and made the playoffs yeah that's awful the top teams are always really good, but like it, the depth was not there, and then it flips um, for sure. Good lord! All right, uh, back to the ring we go. Uh, I feel like we get this every now and then. Eddie Guerrero takes on Chris uh-huh. Benoit. Uh, Bischoff says the NWO keeps getting chances because he's hop- hoping WCW will break their momentum in these matches and reverse course. Kind of a weird take. Hidden gem potential here. As old friends collide, both are dealing with injuries. Benoit is with woman. Bobby says WCW is running with no captain as the NBO has Hogan and DiBiase leading the way. Uh, Guerrero woman argues Bischoff says Hogan has demanded interview time to reply to Roddy Piper here tonight. The NWO no longer wants WCW Saturday night. They want Nitro now as part of the win at War Games, and they want TNT to nominate them for a Cable Ace Award. I always found this weird. Like, I feel like WCW is very obsessed with the Cable Ace Awards during this time. Uh, I guess, I don't know, just like a big Turner thing, but they're like always at the awards. They're always talking about the awards. Like, I don't think I would even know what the fuck they were if it wasn't for WCW, but they talk about them a ton during this these years. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal, but it is to them for some reason. So The Cable Ace Awards know. and the, um, uh, like, upfronts, TV upfronts or whatever, Bischoff, they always mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. All right, we get a get going with a lockup as Mongo and Deborah come out. Mongo says they don't want any more slip-ups. 
Eddie's clearly hurting his taped ribs and bails out to regroup. We get an inset from Sullivan and Jimmy Hart bragging about the Desert of Doom being alive and well and taking it to the horseman. He makes some vague comments about woman as well. Eddie cranks a headlock, but Benoit kicks back into things. Benoit collapses in pain. He's clutching his taped shoulder. Eddie keeps kicking away, but they're slow to get up. They push through being so banged up here, and they keep talking about it. Bischoff even says it's not the usual classic. They're both gutting it out. They're both injured. Very slow pace. Uh, AC Green and Mongo are arguing as Benoit kicks away and shoots Eddie Hart into the corner. Today shits on Nick Patrick for his actions last night. Bischoff says he was paid by the NWO and they want to know why WCW is allowing this. Benoit goes to an abdominal stretch as Patrick grimaces in pain while checking on Eddie. Eddie breaks free, but Benoit slugs the ribs and cuts him down and chops away. Bischoff knows we haven't seen Sting again yet uh, since earlier. Benoit continues to bludgeon Eddie with strikes. He goes back to the abdominal stretch. Bischoff apologizes to anyone that saw Savage advertise in USA today, but he will not be here tonight. Eddie comes punching back, but is slow through his offense. Bischoff says we're finally getting info on the Patrick situation and that Hall and Nash have asked for an office down the hall from Ted Turner. So a lot going on with these demands. Mongo slips into the ring and jabs Eddie in the ribs with the Halliburton and Benoit covers for the win. Now, this is kind of an interesting match. It was slower paced, um, but the selling and strikes were really good. Just a hard hitting war of attrition between two injured warriors. Good to see a uh, good finish to with Mongo faking the shots to the head. And Guerrero, you know, covers up and then he jabs him in the ribs. So a pretty good story to this TV match. Not much beyond it. Not, not the usual crisp classic, but I thought they worked the story well. So I went three stars. Yeah, I went three, too. I, I agree. Like you see it on paper, you kind of have expectation for what the match is and what we've seen of these two so far. But mm-hmm. uh, I like that they went in a different direction and one brought in the continuity from the night before where Eddie's legitimately injured and guts through it. And then Benoit selling this injury, and the match was really worked that way. It's it's yep. a nice like bottle episode type match that's kind of a good case study for both guys' strengths as wrestlers. Where um, you know it's not spectacular on its own, but it, it didn't aspire to be that. It didn't aspire to be this dynamic, brutal type match uh, that they'd had before. This was more storyline driven. Uh, both guys were very wounded. Uh, both guys were very kind of cautious uh, because of their injuries and uh, just a very different style match. I also like the finish. Uh, Mongo yapping with AC was very enjoyable. Um, and then the Halliburton, it's really uh, became a lot more prominent lately where the Halliburton's all over the place in these finishes. But um I, I, I like this as a finish to show, like, they've al- they've already talked about Eddie a lot of times. It's kind of on his own just throughout his tenure in WCW. And here it showed that, like, when the horsemen have numbers and don't get taken advantage of, they still can pick up a win. So I enjoyed that. Three stars. All right. Tony is in the aisle with Nick Patrick and his attorney, Alan Sharp. Sharp mm-hmm. says to run all questions through him. He doesn't want the truth distorted. Uh, very acerbic here for Sharp. Tony, uh, <clears throat> Tony, uh, but uh, Sharp pumps up Nick's hard work through injury. All he's given is says he was unfairly questioned during a controversial match between Hogan and Savage. <laughs> all the controversy occurred due to Chris Jericho attacking Patrick and worsening the injury that Macho Man Randy Savage started weeks ago. Out comes Jericho. He says Patrick's neck is fine. And everyone knows he's being a paid employee of the NWO. Sharp asks Jericho if he has problems with anger, but Jericho talks over him and says he won't forget what Patrick did at Havoc. Sharp keeps needling Jericho, but getting counseling for his anger. 
Teddy Long rumbles out and says Sharp is a scam artist and he had no degree. He'd be begging for quarters. I think that's, you know, a lot of people's case. Patrick is hit bagging Jericho, trying to hold him down. And Sharp says Teddy should understand what slander means as Bischoff shits on lawyers. And they're arguing and we just go to break. Uh, I like the Patrick stuff and Sharp was pretty funny here, uh, but they really need to wrap this up. I mean, it's, it's enough. Like, just pull the trigger. We know he's with the NWO. Let's just get yeah. to it. Yeah. And, you know, we're now we're pulling Jericho in. Let's just move on. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I had a lot of kind of convergent thoughts here. I mean, for like a mid card comedic, again, like if it wasn't the NWO, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with this. Like, right. I feel like this is just below the NWO um, and no, nobody from the NWO is helping him. So really, so it's, it's just weird. Uh, Sharp, I thought had terrible timing. <laughs> he, he was all over the place. They actually cut him off at the end. Um, and yeah, like them transitioning to Jericho, I think is a step in the right direction. Um I don't know. They yeah, they probably should just have like on one of these nitros, just have a Teddy versus Patrick match. Be done with it. Um, right. I wonder if Teddy blocked Nick Patrick on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, like this, this is. I'd say enough's enough. It's, it, to me, this is more like the execution faltered a little bit here the bones of what they're trying to do i'm not totally against but between the execution and the context of patrick being in the nwo uh it's just it feels beneath most of the other stuff they're doing yeah it feels like we should have moved on from long a while ago and into jericho yeah already like you know, this should already have happened. It just right. feels late in the game. Like we we should be done with with that. Right. So I think that maybe wouldn't feel as stale if we were have already have been in Jericho now for a while and off at Teddy Long. So yeah, uh, or elevate Long if you want to do it. You know, instead of making him like a manager to the jobber stars, like which is where he's at. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Like maybe if he wasn't in that mix, it'd feel a little bit more better too. If he was managing Jericho or at a higher presented at a higher level not saying it would have worked but at least it would have been more believable as to him being mm-hmm. involved. yeah all right he, he does have a pretty poor crew of uh, guys he's trying out there with as far as win loss record is concerned okay time for our main event here is lex luger is taking on booker t Pretty big solo spot for Booker. Tony talks about Luger's hot streak. Sherry's with Booker. Tanae says Parker's not here. And Harlem Heat are blaming him for the loss. Bischoff says Luger executed his plan. He stated as he would at Halloween Havoc, and he's locked in as he heads out. We get an insight from Parker who says it's absurd to think there's issues with him and Harlem Heat, and he did not cause the loss at Havoc, and Sherry will be taking care of any issues. We get some trading of arm work as we ease into things. Luger throws Booker around, struggles through a press slam and atomic drop before hitting a hard clothesline to the floor. The crowd's pretty invested in Luger here. Booker returns and clubs Luger in the back and takes over his Bischoff. Thanks Levi Strauss for coming to Halloween Havoc. Sherry and AC Green are arguing now as Booker keeps laying it in. Luger comes back with a clothesline for two, but Booker bails out again. Bischoff says the last time he saw Piper, he was acting president of the World Wrestling Federation, and no one knows what he's doing now, but they enjoyed meeting him in Havoc and wish him all the best. Luger is burying knees as Bobby says Booker doesn't know what to do out there with that. Uh, alone or you know alone with Luger Luger's fired up he, a lot of talk about him being locked in and confident as Bischoff hopes he's the leader the WCW needs 
Booker slams Lex, but misses a middle rope knee drop. Lex hits a back elbow as we go to break. Whenever we return, Booker has a chin lock on. Luger busts free and comes back as Bischoff says the NWO is recruiting right now. Booker stays alive with an axe kick. Luger dodges the hangover and goes to the rack on Booker, but he sees Sting in the crowd and drops Booker out of the rack. Sting just glares at Luger like Michael Myers, so it's kind of creepy. Uh, Luger hops the railing. He goes out to find his friend. Sting takes off, and Luger walks through the fans and gets counted out. So Booker wins the match. Uh, not much here. Again, kind of disjointed. This one, again, didn't feel like it ever got going. Booker was kind of sloppy. I mean, they even call it out like they, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, Luger has a lot of fire and confidence. He just couldn't get this one on track. And he wasn't in line for the win before Sting baited him out. Uh, he's clearly being, you know, elevated to a top spot in the war. Uh, Booker wins, but not his best solo showing so far. So I went two and a half stars here. Yeah, I went two and a half. It was probably about what I expected. I thought it was fine for what it was. Um, a lot going on. Booker really hadn't had many chances as a singles period, really. Um even before he came into WCW and he did okay. I don't think he passed with flying colors, but he didn't outright fail either. Uh, Harlem hangover miss looked really good. That was kind of his highlight. Um, I like Sherry arguing with AC green. I thought that was very amusing. Um, and then Luger, like I actually kind of thought Luger probably looked better here than he did in the match versus Arn mm. havoc. Um, Looked a little more like motivated on top of it. Uh, I, I think that's just simply because he was kind of the ring general here, whereas I'm sure in the Havoc match he was uh, taking a backseat to Arn. Um, o- overall, Sting in the crowd. This is something, you know, I think you get kind of immune to Crow Sting, but um, yeah, you you. you you're talking about it looked creepy. It really did. Like it yeah. was pretty jarring. Like he came out there and gave the uh, scorpion death drop to the fake sting. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was pretty jarring from the sting we've seen throughout the, you know, the, the uh, history of this show uh, to see him now just being totally void of emotion uh, with the white face paint completely uh, dressed in all black. It, it was pretty striking. I, I thought it was a very striking visual. Um, and I like Luger chasing after him to give the uh, count-out victory to Booker. So overall, this was uh, – I don't think this was meant to be kind of like a barn burner main event. It certainly wasn't. Uh, it was It was just, you know, effective enough for what I think it set out to accomplish. All right, Bischoff, Bobby, and today reset us. Bischoff reminds us how Piper arrived at Havoc and said that they granted his request. He's not under contract, and that's all it was. Piper and Hogan, uh, we get the showdown from Havoc. I don't know if I needed to see it again, but it was in there. If anyone missed it the first time, which I guess makes sense. I mean, and I I don't think it was like one of those things where they gave away, like they gypped pay-per-view people by putting it here because it wasn't advertised on pay-per-view. So it's like you sold the pay-per-view and then gave it away for free anyway, so... Right. I don't I don't know why you'd buy the replay. But, right. That. Know, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, Hogan struts out to the ring. Confidence is flowing as always. He's got giant DiBiase and Vincent with him. Hogan asks to dim the lights and give him a Hollywood spotlight. He gets it. He says he's the John Wayne of the 90s and he came through for the NWO. 
They told everyone what would happen, and they strutted by all the wounded WCW soldiers and knew the NWO has conquered and won. He says the Nacho Man is watching from the hospital, and Hogan has the utmost respect for him because he has to bear the WCW cross with all his tiny Slim Jim powers, and he couldn't get it done. He'll take good care of Liz for him while he's hurt. After they proved the NWO supreme, they took the tag team titles, and Hogan has proved he's box office, and that red-headed stepchild... Piper came out and was man enough to admit that he idolized Hogan and couldn't lace his boots. He saw the fear in Piper's eyes as he turned his skirt and ran and made the best decision of his life. Hogan held up his end of the bargain, NWOs for life, and ready to go party with giant Vince and the Outsiders. DiBiase says they vowed not to do this until the foundation of the NWO was set, but now that they have the World, U.S., and tag titles, tonight is the night, and Hogan can now entertain the fans. The NWO theme fires up. Hogan does a posing routine. And wraps us up as Bischoff vows it's not over, and he'll get Piper to follow up on these lies from Hogan. So I think it's a pretty good, solid promo. Um, it's clear Piper's going to be back. I mean, it's obvious. So you have Hogan continue to lay the seeds, play a little dumb about what happened, and then uh, finally pose for the first time in a while. Yeah, and I, I think this was uh, a nice contrast to Piper. Um, I'm actually interested to watch Hogan in this feud where. You know, we talked about, like, he's had a ton of great presence, but uh, some of his analogies and the way he's talked mm-hmm. and some of his promos have been a little awkward. Um, I think, like, maybe just the general long-windedness of, of Piper may make uh, Hogan more focused. And I thought you got that here. Like, he yep. he was pretty in and out uh, dealing with Macho, getting a shot in on Elizabeth, and then uh, and then transitioning to Piper. Um, I, I love the way this came up where after you see the promo, uh, with Piper and Hogan from Havoc, it fades out to the NWO theme. You see giant walkout. We, we've talked about how, um, this is something I didn't remember how much like Hogan's crew is kind of independent of the outsiders at this time. Mm-hmm. It's really him, giant DiBiase and Vincent. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how long that continues. Um, but they really kind of made it like that's one crew and then outsiders and six is not totally linked with them yet, but I think it will be. So you get the kind of the click version as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the spotlight looked good. The crowd was hot. Uh, I, I thought this was another money promo by Hogan. It was the type of promo you needed. Like you didn't need the, uh, you know, the money making, firing brimstone promo against piper here because you're two months away from the match that they knew was going to happen by this point so uh it was a good rebuttal to the first interaction they had and it was a good hook to you know what will come up next in the feud okay so that does it for nitro uh let's go ahead and do our awards here before we shift over to raw Match of the night, I had Guerrero and Benoit. Yeah, uh, Enos and Paige. But <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say, like, this is one mm-hmm. of the first shows in a while, I think, where I had three matches ranked, or TV, first TV shows in a while, where I had three matches ranked at three stars or above. So right. I, I like the wrestling a lot on the show. All right. A uh, moment, I don't know, I want the Nasty Boys promo. Um but I think I might change it to the uh, Hogan promo. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I ended up going with um, 
Giants promo, mm. um, which uh, get to, but I, I I thought it I, I thought it was really good. Like I, I'd put this as a giant Jarrett one two punch, right? Because I think them back to back really helped continue that feud. Or you're gonna laugh because I think we had different versions of of his performance tonight. But my MVP was AC Green. Um, I, I just thought he had like this crazy energy at ringside. <laughs> he was referenced all through the show. He was kind of like the mascot of the arena and led like the vibe, like the fun party vibe that the arena had all through the show. I didn't think anyone else like stood out completely. I mean, Jared had a good night, like you said. Hogan had a good night, but I don't know. It just it felt something different, and like his presence just added a little bit of extra excitement to the show. Uh, yeah, so mine's not AC Green. Uh, <laughs> I, I went Giant again. Like, I think that's his best promo. He, mm-hmm. He's been fun. He's been really fun for me to track. I, I think him and Paige probably have been the two funnest guys on this project to see their progression. Well, and um, we're we're officially a year into Giant now. Yeah. Um, And I would say that first year is up there with anyone else's in hit wrestling history. I mean, it's not like overstated how good that that rookie year was for him it's it's great yeah he's uh and and i like to see that he was i i I just got a sense like in the way he i don't know like it'll be interesting i mean i guess we'll end up getting to it if we get to the podcast like in 2000 where he's just fat and Mm -hmm. doesn't care but um i mean just like the little things it feels like he he just brings good presence like even with the hogan promo he didn't do nothing he just walked out there yeah but i loved i love the way he positioned himself like right at the ring steps mm-hmm. as like the bodyguard like you get you know if you think about it in the ring you got to get through me just like that placement and attention to detail um seemed very like conscientious so i i and just a great promo i thought he had a really good night uh, any commentary notes? Only one I had that I don't think he touched on was Larry also kind of crapping on AC Green and really basketball in general, where he said, if you touch somebody with your little finger, everybody gets a free shot. So, of course, like Larry's. Uh, <laughs> he hits all sports. You know, not not real athletes. It's like the pro wrestlers. Uh, shots fired. I just went with not really shots fired, but it's kind of a mention. Bischoff mentioning Piper was president of the WWF before this. Uh, debuts. I put AC Green. Uh, road Road Report. Grand Rapids, Michigan. And final grade. Uh, I mean, obviously shines through a bit as we talked through it. I was kind of down on this episode. I wasn't as high in a lot of the matches as you were. I feel like yeah. we lo- we lacked that big oomph coming off a of pay per view. Um. Like we need maybe like that one big angle or something to happen. It just felt like a full reset starting from scratch in some ways. So uh, we also didn't get a lot of like update on Savage, so, which was weird. Like you think we'd get more talk about him. We got a little bit, but not a lot. Um, so I don't know. I ended up going five and a half out of ten. thought this show had a couple of blemishes to keep it from great. But between the end ring being very enjoyable and the promos, I thought some were exceptional. Um, really, just like the Teddy Long, Nick Patrick stuff, I wasn't too keen on. I, I mean, I agree. I don't think there's like that one huge, like, overarching memorable angle on this show. Uh, that That's kind of, kind of probably where we're at just in the timeline with WCW. It's it's uh I would say it's a fall to World War Three as a concept that it can be kind of tough to build towards that. 
um, where it feels like we're still starting to build to Starcade on a lot of stuff, but um, haven't we're still so long away, you can't really blow your wad. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the show. Seven and a half for me. Okay. All right. That does it for Nitro. So let's head across the dial. We head into Monday Night Raw, October 28th, 1996. Still part of this post buried alive taping uh where are we at again chad uh terry ho is that where yeah okay still in terry ho we open with a quick clip of steve austin beating the shit out of brian pillman and destroying his ankle on superstars after pillman had mentioned bret hart we'll get more of that later and we'll tonight we'll hear from bret hart live from his home and steve austin live from stanford as they have a face-to-face interview uh had you remembered this assault of pillman uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of the more famous ones. Uh, I didn't know it. I, I, I guess I did kind of remember uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Sorry, not Terry Hope. Right, right. They all run together. Um, I, I think this is one of the ones that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't quite recall if it was on Superstars or, um, Raw. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think like, like, well, I was going to ask you, like, when we get into it, but, like, pilmanizing or whatever, like, or when did yes. that become, like, a phrase? Was that? It was pretty much, like, right after this. Like, who coined that? <sighs> I'm trying to remember. Because I didn't know. But that, I mean, I think that really helped, like, the memorability of this. Because, right. like, that still gets mentioned today when this happens, when that's why it happens. Like, you say, oh, he pilmanized it. <laughs> I don't know if it's Jr. or who says it. It's definitely a thing because I know at the t- like I remember saying pilmanized like at, yeah. around this time of it happening. So it definitely yeah I, I don't remember where it came from. I mean I don't think it was online, so it had to be. Okay. I mean it would have been early for it to circulate from someone on the internet. Like I was only on AOL still at this point. That's so. what I was wondering. I mean whoever coined that kudos because I mean like I said it it's very I mean I think like. We've seen a million wrestling beatdowns. It was a little different uh, from what we've seen most of in WWF this year. But um, having that attachment, like that tangible word attached to it, really yes. helps its sustainability. And it really kicks off uh, eight days of madness for Austin <laughs> that starts mm-hmm. uh, on Superstars and goes through next Monday um, as he continues to elevate ahead of Survivor Series. Uh, it's a good attack too. I just, I just love how angry he gets whenever, like we saw it when Brett made his announced his return, right? And Pillman get a little excited, fist pump, and Austin glared at him. So he's just like he's just had it with Pillman talking about Austin, about Brett, and excited about Brett. Yeah, I like him using the cane. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll get we'll get to it. Like I, I haven't watched next week's so obviously a memorable episode. We get a little bit of it here. We'll comment when it comes, but. I'll just I'll just preference by saying like in general, uh, you know, pro wrestling for me, you, you do have to suspend some disbelief yes. of reality, right? So a lot of the stuff with Austin, like it's it's clear that he's jumping off the page. Like right, you know, like we had a little discussion. You picked AC Green for Star of the Night. You picked I picked Giant. It don't matter. This week it's gonna be Austin. Like he's jumping off the page mm-hmm. like, for both shows, but. Um, for me as a wrestling fan, I've always liked kind of the arena and what happens in the wrestling arena and the ring to be kind of like a vacuum from reality. Right. Um, so when you bring in other aspects of that, 
it can create a little bit of disconnect. That's not a problem in this beatdown because it happened in the ring. It looked mm-hmm. vicious. It was true to Austin's character. So, like, we'll we'll talk about it. Like, Austin has some great stuff, I think, on this show for me. But, like, my absolute favorite thing that he does, uh, at least between superstars and this Raw, and we'll see if it holds true for next week's Raw, but right now my favorite thing he does is this attack on Pillman. Right. Like it's a standalone. All right, we get our opening animation that we head into the ring right away is the real Double J. Jesse James takes on Salvatore Sincere. Double J heads out to With My Baby Tonight. So uh, bringing that back. Yeah. King mentions the Yankees have won the World Series. Uh, so there you go. Um, finally capped off. We, we didn't get that update from Bischoff tonight after all the Braves updates. But no, it, it was often quiet. Uh, this is Double J, uh, Jesse James's in-ring return since the comeback first match. Sal Sincere is in the ring. He start, we start off with a bite off a break and then pokes the eyes. Vince asks how sincere Sal could be as Sal cranks a headlock. Jesse James blocks a hip toss and shoves Sal to the floor. Vince says Pillman needs full ankle reconstruction and may be done forever as a result of this attack. James hammers away and Sal at Sal. We get the old Harley race tilt the world of ropes as he slugs at him. And then James knocks him to the floor. James struts around and dances as Sal recovers. Sal slams James and heads up top, but James catches him and slams him down. James is a clothesline in the corner and finishes with a pump handle slam. As Vince just slowly reveals that WrestleMania has been announced to take place in suburban Chicago. It's so different than these days. Um, yeah. Just kind of buries it in this match. Uh, nothing match. Plotting and and uh, all James just strutting around throwing strikes. Sincere looked okay, I guess, at times, but not the hottest opener here. So I want to start a quarter on the match itself. Um, yeah, but we do, we do uh, get some important notes like mania location and the Pillman ankle reconstruction, which was still stemming from the car accident. Uh, it rebroke or whatever. So he had to reset the surgery. So I remember at the time this being like a real bummer because you were waiting for him to finally get in action after the motor after the uh, car accident in June. It seemed like maybe they were inching that way with him getting more and more involved on screen. And then all of a sudden this word comes out that, yeah, he like rebroke the ankle or whatever and needs a full reconstruction. And it's like he'll be out until 97 sometimes. So I was like, fuck, like we're, you know, getting excited to see him in action. And now he's back on the sideline. Yeah. And it feels like the attack itself is such a easy way, like in wrestling history where you'd write him off, you know, till he comes back. So mm-hmm. we'll see that he's actually like around at least for next week. Um, what'd you go on this match? Start in a quarter. Yeah, I want to start in a half. Uh, we hadn't seen old Sal since September. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he he missed he missed the taping after mind games, but uh, he's back again. And this, uh, you know, Vince immediately calling James Jeff Jarrett was uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> funny. Um, terrible Italian accent by the King, of course. Uh basic stuff like sincere gets caught in the ropes he's teetering off the punches he celebrates and gets driven into the guardrail uh james misses the drop kick and he turns uh sincere takes over but that's very uh, short-lived where we get the swivel the hips big leg kick um pump handle slam so I, I mean, this was supposed to be a showcase for James. I still ain't really feeling him too much. Um, yeah, I mean, it was what it was. I, I think that was probably, unfortunately, this 
And this this is why I was a little one of the reasons I was down a little bit on this raw is I feel like we progress from that where I mean I guess you can say like we get a little bit of a showcase for James, but this was probably the problem I think they've had before where really within this match uh, it's the third most important thing because I would say like the stuff going on with Pillman's first and mm-hmm. then even the location of Maine is like second as far right. as pertinent news. Um, yeah, that that is crazy how they did it. Like, uh, you know, they had that house show in Rosemont, and Vance basically says, like, y'all are in for a big surprise as Mania's coming. You know, I was like, oh, wow. But uh, that was cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess now, these days yeah. they, do, they do just kind of drop it on Twitter. But, um, but still, yeah. It, it was nicer. Uh, I, I like the model where one year you held the Royal Rumble and then the next year you did Mania, like right. Atlanta having the 2010 Rumble, and then uh, Mania in 2011. I thought that was a cool model. Where I they like too. They would announce it at Mania for the next year. At Mania next year, yeah, I like that too, because because I know with that one in Atlanta, like they did it. It was either the day before or the day after the Rumble. Mm-hmm. Like they had the press conference, so it it gave the uh, event more buzz. Karate Fighters presents Survivor Series November 17th in Madison Square Garden. Doc Hendricks pops in to hype up the whole weekend, including <laughs> the Hall of Fame at the Marriott Marquis. In comes Steve Austin. He barges in. He says, nobody cares about eight little farts getting a trophy. And Doc can't sit with Jack like a jackass with blinders and sit there and ignore Stone Cold. Doc just kind of uh, shrugs it off and runs down the card. We got Shawn Michaels versus Sid. We got Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Goldust, Crush, and Jerry Lawler taking on Mark Merrow, Mark Henry, The Stalker, and Rocky Maivia in a Survivor Series match. We also have Undertaker versus Mankind with Paul Bearer in a shark cage and Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. Then Austin goes busting it again. He says, why does Bret Hart get to be home in Calgary, but you had to fly him in from Texas? And things like that are going to get someone's ass kicked, and he's going to whip Hart's ass in MSG. Um, So Austin's starting off on fire. I thought it was shrewd to have him in the studio causing havoc, not just like somewhere remote. Um, I like it because it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. It makes you feel alive, even though this is taped. So I like that aspect of it. Um, and also just kind of the, the under the radar announcement of the debut of Rocky, my view. Yeah. It's crazy to think about that. Like this is the first time on Raw that name's been mentioned and dot just throws it out as mm-hmm. part of the team. Um, also mankind versus Tager, which main evented the, last pay-per-view um which shows how kind of yeah I, I, I mean what happened there do you think like do you think they thought i mean i don't i wonder I, i'm gonna look in the observers for those because it feels like they would have went with taker versus executioner and maybe gordy just wasn't ready or something no i think it's too big of a show to run that like i i think They've run Taker Foley on the undercard of the two big shows so far, King of the Ring and SummerSlam. So I think if they're going to keep the feud going, having it a Survivor Series makes sense. And then you can just do Executioner in your house or whatever. It's, I don't it's think just, that's a big enough match to roll it out of Survivor Series. But to me, this just feels like such a, you know, forgotten, you know, right. let's just throw it on. And and the, the uh, like, the gimmicks have progressed so mm-hmm. much. This is one of those pet peeves, you know. It's like, oh, you started first match in the feuds, the last match standing match, and then the blowouts, a regular wrestling match. It feels right. kind of like that here. It's just weird. Uh, I did like 
Austin bouncing off Hendricks just mm-hmm. from a historical I mean the execution was good but also from a historical standpoint like you know Michael P.S. Hayes in Texas in 1982 when Austin was a teenager is in a lot of ways what he's doing right now so it's a cool kind of progression of that like it's it's cool that there now he's you know the old guy like announcing and austin's berating him um like how he did uh mercer (laughs) bill mercer and world class all right brett hart is with his cat and austin is swatting away a makeup lady as we go to break uh, so we'll get more from them. Just got to set yeah. up the face-to-face. Back to the ring we go as the Portuguese man of war is with us, Aldo Montoya, taking on Crush. Crush launches out with Clarence Mason for this big match. Uh, Mark Merrow comes in via phone, and Vince asks him about the perfect hoax. Merrow's pissed, and he begs Gorilla <laughs> Monsoon to reinstate Mr. Perfect. If he sees him anywhere, he'll pull his hair out of his fat head. He says, Hunter's the haunted. He'll get him an MSG. King cuts in and Mero goes after him. King says Perfect got too close to Sable and Mero says he trusted Perfect and got stabbed in the back. Pretty good fire from Mark here that we haven't had a lot of to date. Crush jolts Aldo to start, clobs away with uh, punches and headbutts. JR joins the booth, says it's about time to get an introduction. He's got big news to share and he wouldn't be out here dealing with preliminary matches. He should only be out here for the main event. Crush slams Aldo to the floor. JR says this match is a no-brainer and he would bet on him. Uh, to win it, Vince says they'll probably bet the Braves too, which, which is pretty funny. <laughs> JR says Farouk is contemplating a lawsuit against Ahmed Johnson, and JR referred him to Clarence Mason as a lawyer. And now Farouk was so impressed, he's retained him as a manager. JR promises big changes in Farouk starting this Saturday on Livewire. So, again, just something kind of worked in on commentary here. A major change coming for Farouk. Aldo mounts a flurry. JR says crushes like Michael Irvin. If he stays out of jail, he's a good player. And asks if Aldo's jockey strap was Vince's idea. <laughs> Just going all in. Crush wins with the heart punches. JR says that move wouldn't affect Vince as he has no heart. JR says he's not going to stay around to get humiliated by Mr. Ego anymore, so he takes off. Crush, he's a fan with a jailbird sign in the crowd. He snaps and beats the shit out of him uh, of a security guard who tries to get in the way. Just a nothing match. Uh, it's all JR as usual on this stuff. Post-match was the best part was Crush's brain is fried from being in jail. He keeps snapping and attacking anyone that gets in his way. So I went one star for the match, but this is all about JR and the big announcement. Uh, Farouk on Livewire and having a big change. Clarence Mason's his new manager, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, starting a quarter. Uh, jailbird hating Crush. Not a not a great gimmick. No. <laughs> um, no. no, not, not th- this... This again, this this just felt like a match I'd kind of hope we were beyond, um, honestly. So it it was it was a nothing match. It was used there for Ross to be the mouthpiece, which is fine. Uh, Marrow was very impressed with his hunter is now the hunted line, mm-hmm. so that was fine. Um, we'll have to see. Farouk with Clarence Mason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've been too. I've been too crazy with Clarence yet. So we'll, we'll see uh, with Farouk in this run. Um, I don't know. I, there wasn't a lot of like here. <laughs> I, I don't like Crush out as a jobber. Uh, Jr. had some fire, but mm-hmm. we'll see. 
Right, we get clips of the perfect hoax from last week, and then we see Mr. Perfect bragging about it on Superstars. Gorilla suspended him from wrestling right when he's about to make his big comeback. And Vince says we won't see Perfect in the ring anytime soon. Austin is in the studio. tells Vince to stop jerking him around. tells the production assistant to stop counting him down. He says, what, is this a rib? So he's getting aggravated because they keep making him wait. Um, do you think at this point they knew Perfect was done, and they cut this in live with Vince saying we're not going to see him? Yeah, it, it felt that way. Um, the the whole thing with Perfect is weird, though. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost like they, I don't know if they ever knew he was going to come back to begin with. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Because um, it feels like they had the ruse kind of formulated, but I don't, I don't know if the end goal matched what they went for or they had to change course. I, I can't figure right. that out, so. It was fine. I, I I thought it was fine the way they did it, though. And Austin cutting in was fine, too. All right, we get the Karate Fighters Holiday Tournament, round one. Yeah. Todd Pettigill and the King set up promos for our competitors. Phineas and Mr. Perfect, here he is. Uh, we get the big battle narrated by Carve Albert. And Perfect wins after getting Phineas to look for Dolly Parton. So not, not a ton going on here. I mean, <laughs> how, I mean Phineas has to be. In contention for the dumbest baby face in wrestling history. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, easy. Like, like perfect. All he says is, ooh, Dolly Parton. And, <laughs> and Phineas gets whiplash, turning around yep. to uh, to grab a look. Uh, and then he gets completely cut because perfect calls him a big, dumb hillbilly. So, <laughs> I mean, just completely a jobbed out. Like, this person you just said is not going to be wrestling, like now is making one of your tag team baby faces look uh, completely emasculated. So it's Great funny job. too that they couldn't just reshoot like someone in his spot. Oh, I mean, were these that filmed like locked step that you couldn't just like refilm Phineas? Yeah. And stuff? I mean, I mean, I know it doesn't matter and Phineas is a dummy. So it's, it's I mean, I laughed when it happened. But it's, if he's but, gone, you're having to win. Like, you yeah. would have to reshoot this and say perfect's been replaced by Gorilla because he's suspended, you know? Sure. <laughs> they like, over someone that's around. Couldn't, couldn't redub the karate fighters. I, I don't know. It was. Uh, so maybe they uh, did leaving. I don't know. The way Vince I said it, I felt like they did. I mean, the way Vince said, it's going to be a long time before we see perfect in the ring. <laughs> to me, that spoke to the fact that he knows he's not. Do we? So, I mean, yeah, like. I mean, he's not in the ring till WCW, right? Correct. And he's he gone until then. He doesn't do anything. He until never then. appears, right? No, they. I think it's either. The, I don't know if it's at Survivor Series or the next taping. Like they say, Hunter, like kicked him to the curb. Basically, he used him. He used him to get the title, and then he didn't want him anymore. Yeah, so I, I think don't they, know. they hand wave it. And then he's gone until yeah. he shows up at that clash or whatever, whenever he debuts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's something I'll try to see in the Observer, too, for next time. Because I don't know then. Because, I mean, it did feel like they at least, like, thought he might be the manager with Hunter, I would think. Mm. But I mean, he just didn't want to get up the insurance yet. So, like, I think he panicked or balked and didn't want to do it. So, but it's just the way Vince... do the manager with the Lloyds of London? Well, no, he could have, but I don't know yeah. if they just had a disagreement or what. But, yeah, we'll have to see what if we catch up on the observers. But, um, I mean, just the way Vince says it so dismissively to me felt like 
like he was almost like oh we're done with him <laughs> i don't uh, know that's how it sounded but we do see him on raw over the next couple of weeks i think because obviously it's taped so uh right right okay all right, uh, Vince McMahon tells us next week Brian Pillman is going to join us via satellite from his home in Ohio. So big, big to do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Steve Austin cuts it again and says, you go to Brett's house, you go to Brian's house. How about going to Austin's house? And next week, Austin will go to Brian's house. If you're going to go and have a party with a crippled freak, he will be there, too. Vince asks him, hasn't he done enough to Pillman? We get clips of Austin beating the shit out of him on Superstars, and then just a great spot. <laughs> Blocks the ambulance with his car and throws the keys away. <laughs> Austin's narrating the whole thing. He says, Pillman made the mistake of hyping Bret Hart at his expense. Austin says, Pillman is headed to the cemetery next. And Austin's tired of being jerked around. He'll do whatever he has to do, including making a house call next week. Vince calls him a creep for doing this to his best friend. And Austin says, DTA, don't trust anybody, which I think might be the debut of that. Mm-hmm. Pillman thought he was his friend, but he was the biggest puppet in the world. He had the strings, and there he was. Vince says Pillman is a crippled man, and Austin says Pillman is still is uh, Vince says Pillman's a crippled man, and Austin says Pillman is still a crippled man. He with a stupid raspy voice and thirty throat operations. Vince asks why Gorilla Monsoon has a dying thing about this, and Austin says, "Why do you keep asking these stupid questions?" He says, "All we all know that Gorilla is just a puppet. McMahon's the real boss." Vince rebuts at Austin, tells him to shut up, says he doesn't do anything because he's a greedy, selfish promoter, and he'll be filling his pocket full at MSG, and he doesn't want to miss out. Austin says he's going to make a lot of money from that match, too, but he would just as soon kick Bret Hart's ass for free. We cut into Bret at home on a split screen. Austin immediately tells him to get the stupid look off his face as we go to a break. Um, I don't care. Like, to me, this is all-time stuff. Top level. Austin just on fire. Like, to me, this is the best stuff on either show easily. He knows his character. He knows what he wants to do. He knows it's his chance. And just the manic obsessiveness with shouting everyone down and demanding answers to his questions and getting his truths across is just like amazing heel stuff that just makes him stand out head and shoulders above anything else going on right now. Um, I mean, I, I could have recited that probably without reading it, too. Like, I've just seen it a million times. I haven't memorized. I got so excited when it came up that day watching it. So uh, just good stuff. we got more to come. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I thought I thought it was very good. I guess I just don't have the. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'll be Debbie Downer compared to that. It was good. It, it's just, I I don't. It's tough, and we'll get to it. Like they have another. Uh, well, first off, Brett sandals that he wears in this are <laughs> yes. terrible. Um, yeah. but uh, it's just one of those weird things where like. I, I understand, like, Austin, this is his chance. I don't begrudge him. Like, he's definitely grabbing it by the, by the uh, horns. But um, he's so, like, domineering compared to even somebody like Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stuff with Pillman, it's like, well, where is that going to lead? Like, did they think, like, maybe long term it was going to lead to something? Or was it just, like... No, I Pillman think so. It's going to be sacrificed. No, I think they figure Pillman will be back and setting him up for an eventual show. I mean, and they do. Like, I mean, he he does come back and go after Austin, so it's it's a thing. Yeah, but it's, it's not. I mean, this this is set up like. I mean, we'll get to it, but like the way this and next week, it feels like like Pillman at some point should make a real big comeback on Austin in the future. Right. And it's a ways away. And by the time it happens, 
they're in two different stratospheres, really. So that may be like a victim of circumstance. Yeah, like I don't know if they expected Austin to get that big, you know, and maybe Pillman not to recover at all, which, you know, he's just kind of a shell by the time he comes back. I, I, I just liked, like, I think I like, I mean, I definitely like the 316 promo better. Um, I like the uh, promo he gave at Mind Games better. I mean, this is really good, but I, I've liked a couple other things Austin's done better. I felt like those were more within the confines that I like. Like this, right. in some this ways. This felt different, though. Like, it felt cool. It's like, different. It felt live, you know. It does, but it's, it's, it's. It is, and it's it's very good, but it, it it's almost, and it's tough, because, like, you can't, I don't know, it's it's difficult to know, because, like, as stupid as it is, Hogan was starring in a movie. Like, right. that's stupid, but he is. Like, he's in a movie that was released in the theaters. Um, and him, with his persona, is... So kind of, you know, I think I'm the biggest movie star and stuff. You know, I'm I'm in over my head, but I'm not going to admit that, etc. Like Austin's character is very dynamic, very different. It's a le- I mean, it's an electric character right mm-hmm. now. Like I said, it's very strong. Um, it's just again and again like this this segment itself. I don't have uh, big problems with, but it just feels like it's almost too yeah i don't know it's it's tough to say like it's almost too domineering um but we'll we'll see i mean i'm i want to see how the feud plays off eventually but and that's i mean i'll just say like that's one of my things that i'm looking forward to because you know like the heart foundation versus austin and uh 97 i'm much more familiar with Right. I want I want to see how this feud progresses because I know like the rep for the Survivor Series match is like it's very technical, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, and I mean the way Austin's working the build to this match, it shouldn't be right. like right now. Like this should not be a chain wrestling match. Well, I don't know because he just keeps saying he's gonna prove that he's the best. He's gonna out. You know, he, he never said he's going to kick the shit out of him. Like, he says... Yeah, but he, I mean, he calls him, like, the shit, man. Like, he's taking it per... Like, his right. persona is so... but he wants so... to prove he's just better than Bret Hart. That His whole thing is that he's the best, and Bret Hart's not. And he's going to prove that he's the best. So, what does Bret Hart do best? He wrestles. He's going to out-wrestle him. Like, I don't think it's turned into a violent blood feud that it would later just yet. I think Austin's whole goal here is that he's aggravated that everyone keeps calling Bret Hart the best wrestler, and he feels he's the best wrestler. And he works match. He hasn't been like wish, a roller. Yeah, I just wish he'd convey that more. I don't think he did a great job conveying that here. I think yeah. here he's 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 so rough around the edges, it makes it feel like, you know, like, I mean, he's so unhinged, it feels like it's going to be that way reflected in the ring. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I think he's just trying to... I, I think it's, the whole thing has been he's aggravated that everyone keeps overlooking him whether it's vince whether it's pillman in these interviews whether it's brett like like i think he just feels like a guy with a big chip on his shoulder that he's had for three or two years now (laughs) and he's finally like you know had it he's like look i'm the best i'm tired of getting overlooked 
fucking let me talk. You keep talking about Bret Hart and my promo time. Like, what are we doing? I'm the guy mm-hmm. now. You know, you're looking for Bret. I'm right here. I'm your guy. I'm, I'm on the roster today. All right, we come back from break. Now we get a split screen again. Bret has his kids on his lap. Austin's just glaring at him. Vince asks a question, and before he barely even finishes, Austin is yells, answer him! Uh, Brett's mic is all staticky, so we cut away, and we say, we'll come back later. So they're obviously milking this out, trying to get you to stick around. Uh, yeah, I didn't like this, because this is when Sonny comes to the ring, right? And they're yes. having technical... Yeah. Di- I thought that was weird. Um, you know, like, Vince gives the... She's still in the spotlight like usual. Um I thought it was a little bit of an awkward transition. Yeah, she comes out. Vince is all horny, stands up. And, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, Again, sorry. En- enough with WWF and these technical difficulties. How many times <laughs> are they going to have technical difficulties, like, between Ross's microphone, this, the legitimate crap would be where a dog, like, mm-hmm. why, why make uh, it just... They keep it seems like they think crutch. it's like proof that it's live or something, you know? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're live right now. And I, oh. I guess. Enough of this. I, I don't want to hear technical difficulties for a while. All right. Uh, Sonny goes to the ring. Vince is horny. She joins the boots. Yeah. She sits on King's lap and kisses him on the cheek, which we didn't need. <laughs> uh, to the ring we go. We got solo Billy Gunn taking on Freddie Joe Floyd. Uh, we get footage of the guns getting into an argument on superstars. Billy walked out on Bart, but Bart still beat the new rockers. <laughs> Doesn't speak much for them. Sonny says they probably fought over her, but now she's a free woman. Sonny talks uh, herself up as Floyd gets early offense. It's a drop kick. Sonny puts over Floyd's resume, which is a nice little touch. Sonny says Billy was her favorite, and the cuter of the two is Freddie Joe works the arm. Billy takes Floyd down, and Sonny says Billy has more killer instinct than Bart. Billy knocks Floyd outside. Bart comes out to observe and gets in Billy's face. Billy says he has Sonny and doesn't need Bart. They argue as Sonny stands behind Billy. Billy gets in the ring and slugs down Floyd. Bart is pushed to the back. He's still running his mouth. Billy gets distracted. Floyd gets a flurry for two. Billy ducks a charge and Floyd hits the top rope and Billy finishes with a top rope leg drop. Vince says Sonny loves Hillary Clinton and she says she'll definitely be our next president. So uh, Close. (laughs) Uh, Nothing here. All angle. And it's uh, hard to get into into this breakup angle, given how stale the guns are. Like it's, it's really hard to care too much about it. It's clear that Billy's going to be the one getting the big push coming out of this. So a star and a half, just again, when you're watching Austin be so dominant and his big top storyline, and then, you know, you got to settle back in for the, the battle of the guns. It's, it's a tough trade off. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like they wanted to go somewhere with Billy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, has been chronicled in this podcast series. I'm more of a Bart guy myself, so <laughs> yeah. kind of picked the wrong wrong cowboy to back there. Uh, as the match itself, it was okay. Uh, Billy had a pretty awkward bulldog. Uh, Billy Joe or uh, Freddie Joe's uh, drop kicks looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this this was kind of the same thing. This this felt very standing pat like i guess the only development here was now sunny said billy was cute so right whatever that is but they they've been bickering for a while uh this is this is starting to inch into teddy long nick patrick territory <laughs> yes. got, to, got the time to uh are they gonna break up or you know what, what are we doing now so yeah start. We're, we're good to be done with the era of the guns here i think yeah all right, we finally get the split screen. Austin on one side, Brett on the other. Austin is just shooting daggers at Brett. Vince is ready to dig in, and Brett will get the first question. He says, many believe Brett took his time deciding about coming back because Austin challenged him. 
Brett says you're looking at 12 plus years of no break and being mauled by giants and great wrestlers, and that took its toll. Brett says Austin's a great wrestler, but he had nothing to do with him leaving. Austin is glaring. He's making these weird mocking noises the whole time uh, at him as he's talking. Austin says Brett basically said he was afraid Austin would kick his ass, so he left. Brett tells Austin to clean up his language and then says, as far as you kicking my ass, and then Austin says, there you go, all proudly that Brett finally swore. Brett says he's rested and better than ever. Vince asks about the ring rust and says if he should have accepted a match with a lesser individual. And Austin Barks answer yet again as soon as Vince is done with the question. Answer him. Brett says, nobody knows how bad the rust affects you until you get in the ring, but he doesn't care. He wants to start here and accomplish a lot. And he'll do that by beating the best wrestler in the WF. That is the best wrestler until November 17th. Vince says, if Austin wins, he has great confidence, and he will, trying to make a name for himself on Brett's name. Will Brett continue his comeback if he loses? Brett says losing's possible, and he will accept the result and keep on going. Austin tells him to shut up and that no matter the result, it'll never be over, and Brett will never be through with Austin until he kills him. He'll always be on his ass. Brett says he's the excellence of execution, and Austin Mock laughs at that. And Brett asks if he wants to wear a hood while he's being assassinated. Austin just straight up ignores him and says he's the best there is, was, and ever will be. And as soon as he finishes him, uh, as soon as he finishes, he immediately tells Brett to say something before Brett could even talk. Brett says he knows it'll be a hard job to clean things up in the RDF. And then Vince cuts off Brett to wrap up. Austin says the RDF is his house now. Austin gets pissed off. He says you can tell Brett to go piss off, but he's been here all night. And he barks at the PA to stop counting him down. Austin grabs him and throws him through a ladder in the studio. He says he's not through, and no one counts him down. He smashes a monitor, and then we're done. Uh, again, I, I think this is – I've always loved this. I think it's amazing stuff. Austin's on fire. Completely owned the segment as a true star. You know, I feel like Brett kind of picked up where he left off going into WrestleMania. It looks kind of like a goof, I guess. A little caught off guard. Like, I don't know if he knew Austin was going to be this aggressive and abrasive. Yeah. I think you can explain it away by saying he's just rusty and, like, kind of staying – like, he's not heated back up yet. He's kind of staying confident, and Austin – get himself worked into a lather, but um, Brett looked definitely, and then Vince cutting him off didn't help either. It's <laughs> kind of like, all right, no. we're done. Um, so the Brett part of this was a little shaky, but I thought Austin was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this was my favorite stuff uh, involving Austin besides the Pillman attack, which happened on superstars uh, tonight. Um, I, I thought the best, portion of this was just to show the duality between both it was a nice contrast um the i guess if you want to be critiquey of that the one thing is austin certainly uh looks more you know motivated and fired up compared mm-hmm. to brett like brett's very like stoic and just kind of there um I, I did think he got more progressively like into it and worked up, which was nice. Uh, Austin getting counted down, I was fine with. Him slamming the monitor, I was fine with. Even him attacking the guy, I was fine with. That's what happens afterwards. It's a little annoying. But uh, over, overall, I thought just as a standalone, like this was effective in building the match to a Survivor Series. Yeah, I think it's better than anything else they could have done, probably, honestly, at this yeah. point. This one night alone has put a ton of heat on Survivor Series. All right. All right, main event time as we have a rematch from In Your House, We Were a Dog and King of the Ring, and that is Shawn Michaels defending his world title against the British Bulldog. Uh, Bulldog Owen and Clarence Mason are out. Owen drops, uh, hops into the booth. He's got a slammy. Big match for Davey, chance for some revenge. We see Austin bullying security backstage. He smacks his hat off and tells him he's not going to leave. 
Sean dances out with Jose Lothario. We see clips of his recent bickering with Sid. And Owen says, Sean better worry about that and not about uh, and, and not him and Bulldog. Owen says, we'll make Sean so great. He has no slammies and no tag team titles like Owen does. Vince says maybe Sean instead should team up and become tag team champions. Vince reveals the big news that Monday Night Raw moves to 7.57 starting next week. Mm-hmm. and reminds us we'll be live at Pillman's house. So we're moving up against the first hour of Nitro instead of the second hour of Nitro now. Bulldog keeps Sean off balance to start. He shows off a bit as Owen puts him over strong. Sean comes back with a flurry, knifes through Bulldog, clotheslines him to the floor, and then dances. Bulldog regroups as King mocks Sean's hair. Bulldog paces around as the crowd is all over him. Owen calls Sean disgusting for flaunting his body and playing to the crowd. And Vince loves it. And Owen says Vince is on a different cloud than the rest of them. Bulldog returns. And we found out the cops have been called in Austin. King asks if the number's 911 donuts. Sean hits an Enziguri. And Owen asks where he stole that move from. That was just funny. Sean works a headlock as Owen says he wishes he could knock him out again. Bulldog eventually counters a charge into a press slam and a hot shot across the top rope. Bulldog starts to stomp away aggressively as Vince confirms the police are on their way to the studio. We get an ad uh, for Full Metal, the CD, during the break. After a break, Bulldog is cranking a chin lock and uses Sean's hair to throw him around. As Owen says, Sean should cut his hair, which is a funny line since Owen just cut his. Bulldog gets a nice delayed vertical for two, goes back to a chin lock. He blocks a crucifix with a Samoan drop for two and goes back to the headlock now. Owen calls Brett a lousy, worthless bum. It says the heart name would be in the gutter without Owen. Sean fights free and gets a sunset flip for two. Bulldog cuts him down the clothesline, is all fired up about it. Vince keeps hyping the cops arriving for Austin as Bulldog clubs away. After another break, Sean is making his comeback, dodging strikes and landing key offense. The crowd revs up as Sean hammers away in the corner. Bulldog dodges a float over and leads up, loads up a power slam. But Sean slips free, shoves him to the buckle and hits a big elbow. Sean loads up sweet chin music, but Owen gets involved for the disqualification. They double up on Sean until Sid makes a save, but Sid accidentally hits Sean and they argue as they then cool off. But Owen grabs the mic and issues a tag team title challenge, which Sean and Sid dap up and accept. So it looks like we're going to have a tag team title match coming up soon. Sid and Sean against Owen and Bulldog. The match itself was good. Kind of the usual muted raw stuff capped by the format, but the chemistry is there. Of course, Sean was bumping all over. Owen was a lot of fun and commentary as usual. Uh, and the finish was fine. It protects Bulldog and adds more heat to Survivor Series. A step behind their best stuff from pay-per-view, but good for a TV main event and structured okay. But again, the focus is all on Austin because he's just completely taking over the company right now. So Vince was constantly, you could tell Vince is super into him. He's just constantly talking about him. Uh, so I went three on the match itself. It was good. Yeah. Not great. Um, but again, I think the raw format just caps us. It's like a ceiling on everything. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i not positive these two have great chemistry or not. They seem a little indecisive to me. Uh, this, this felt more Beware of Dog to me than King of the Ring. Um, I I don't know. I, I thought this match went... I, really, a lot of uh, critiques going to be with Bulldog. He went back to his headlock way too much. There's too much of a headlock in this. Like, Sean uses it first. Um, and I think that's the formula, but we can be a little more creative than that. Like, you know, Sean starts off with the headlock, pulled all power slams him up, gets the stun gun uh, to take over. That was actually the same transition as in the uh, Billy Gunn match, the previous one for the heel heat. So I didn't think that was great either. Same same exact transition. I wonder if it was taped in that order or if it was taped I don't out. know. It, it just... It seemed a little weird. Um, yeah, it's possible they taped it out of order. 
Uh, Sean goes flying to the floor, which is always a good looking bump as we head to break. Coming back, though, yeah, Bulldog has the chin lock in. Um, we saw him personally on Michael's bag in the ring during the break. And he does pull the hair, like you said, but then he goes right back to the chin lock. Michaels tries that to pin, but a Bulldog hits the Samoan drop for two. So, you know, they, they have some interesting spots, uh, some highs, but then right back to the headlock. They ratchet it up again. Bulldog hits the clothesline to take over uh, as we go to our last break. And then, again, when we come from our last break, Sean's already in the mix of his comeback. So we don't really see that one transition spot, which I dislike a lot. You don't really see, like, that one thing that helps Sean come back. Uh, back body drop by Michaels. Punches in the corner. Bulldog reverses it. Goes for the running power slam, but Sean scoops out. Uh, elbow drop looked good. Uh, sweet chin music. He goes forward, but Owen grabs the ankle. Uh, it, it's, so this this was the finish here. I understand they went for uh, what they're going for with the tag and all that. Uh, but I know, like, in the prior week we talked about, like, Owen having that DQ or whatever versus Sid. It was a little weird not to give just Sid the win. Right. Here, I I mean, I thought Sean could have won here. Yeah, probably. Um, it, oh, overall, I, I don't know. I, I, get, I, I'm, I guess I'm down on this match and maybe the series overall. I don't feel like people... Or down on Beware of Dog as I am. Uh, and this one, I am I was really surprised to see the reviews of this. I actually wanted to see if there was stuff out here on this match. Mm-hmm. All I could get was Scott Keith. I mean, he gave this match three and a half, which I think is pretty high. Um, I just thought it was a little disappointing. I mean, I think, it, I think it was the WWF formula at the time. TV formula didn't help it. Uh, but I think somebody like Bulldog was pretty, pretty... Uh, keen on dropping right into that formula and again it's 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 nitpicky but it's like i don't it's tough to say like if you think about 1996 wrestlers of the years just from like a pure in-ring standpoint like you'd want to compare maybe like sean versus ray mysterio like that seems fair and it's just like well look at what ray did in three minutes with freaking jimmy graffiti Right, and here we had a 12-minute main event, and I just, I just feel like this drug along like way more. So, it's, it's disappointing. It feels like they're down on Sean too. Um, it feels like they're done with this rain. Yeah, I, I think at I the time I was that. pretty surprised when you know they switch it in, in MSG, but looking at it now, it's pretty clear that like, like they all need a break. Like it seems that Sean clearly needs a break from this run, and I think they're kind of done. Like his presentation since really since mind games and even before mind games, we talked about it. Like he was barely involved in the Foley feud really since SummerSlam. Like he hasn't been presented super great. Like he lost to Vader again on TV. A lot of focus has been on taker of mankind since SummerSlam. Um, now Austin and Brett are taking center stage. So Sean does not feel like the top dog here over the last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we talked about like the mankind feud was not much. And like you said, it wasn't, even involved in mind game or in why what we saw um yeah last two weeks it's been clear that the match with the most juice going into survivor series and brett and austin so sean's definitely taking a back seat 
All right, we end with Austin in the studio. Uh, we get clips of that from earlier. We tore it apart. Then we go back live. He's being escorted out by cops. He's barking at security. Austin says he's a star and that Vince McMahon will never let anything happen to him. And then it's got a bitches at the cops as we fade out. Uh, any thoughts quick on that ending? Uh, it's quick. I don't think this was needed. This is something that frustrates me. I just couldn't suspend my disbelief for this. One, he says, like, you can't do nothing to Stone Cold because Vince won't let anything happen. I, that seemed like a weird line compared to everything else he said. Um, I don't know. I well, don't he kind of said it earlier, like, too, though, in the night when he said, "Why?" when Vince said, why doesn't Gorilla Monsoon do anything? And he says, well, you're the one controlling it, and you're not going to do anything because you're greedy and you want me a Survivor Series. So he's basically saying, like, Vince is going to protect him because it's a payday for him. I mean, maybe he... Uh, Knew about Nancy Argentina, so he <laughs> thought he could be protected from Vince from the cops. But it's this, this, this. I didn't think. I just didn't think this was needed. Like the cops coming, they're talking to him. We get no result. You know, it, it fades to black as as Austin's talking to him. Felt a little haphazard way to end the episode. I thought. All right, let's get to our awards and wrap things up. Match of the night, uh, I mean, pretty easily Bulldog Sean. Yeah, I mean, it's I was disappointed in it, but there's nothing else. So it's got to be that. Uh, best moment, I went with the Austin Hart face-to-face. Yeah, I, I would say the specific, like, face-to-face segment for me. Like, when uh, they were both. Right, when they're going at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, MVP, I mean, obviously Austin, it's not a close. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's really any other candidates. Any commentary on your end? Yeah, so uh, one from Ross, he uh, says, is that a jockey strap on Aldo's face? Was that your idea, Vince? <laughs> so that was funny. Uh, you mentioned it, but Sonny saying, I love Hillary. She's the next president. I guarantee it. That was funny in retrospect. And then King uh, with a uh, another timely Olympics quote said, that security guard, Richard Jewell, he has a job now. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Still running that angle. Uh, no shots fired, and I know we're going to differ on great on this, but whatever. It's some of my favorite stuff. Again, the nostalgia is high, but I thought Austin was tremendous. It completely has woken up Raw. Yes, the rest of the show is shaky, uh, but the main event was still solid for usual Raw stuff. Like, yes, disappointing, but still better than most of the matches we get on Raw. We're still getting a lot of stuff crammed in on commentary, so that's good. These feel important, and Austin has dominated his whole show, and Austin late 96 can do no wrong to me. So I went seven out of 10. Yeah, I went five and a half. I still think it's above average for what we've seen. Uh, It's mainly on the back of just Austin's persona. Um, I mean, he's just, he's very dominant. And so again, it's, it's tough to kind of grade it in a vacuum, but because, um, I mean, we know what becomes of Austin, and it's easy to see. I mean, I do think it's easy to see, like, how he got such, um, you know, support behind him with the way he's acting here, uh, especially compared to somebody like Michael. Like, that's your face champion, like, compared to Austin, and even Brett in the face-to-face. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the show otherwise was pretty poor. Uh, main event was fine. Sid versus Sean as a feud is not something I've been too keen on. Um, so really right now, honestly, like 
with Survivor Series, uh, like, you know, going in a couple weeks out, like, it feels like a one-match show to me. So we'll see if they're are able to build some intrigue for some other matches for me. Right. I think at least Sid, Sean, and Ticker, man, kind of, kind of some faith that you're going to get some good stuff. I mean, if nothing else, Sean's pay-per-view matches all delivered for the most part, right? So, you know, yeah. that's probably going to be good. You know, Ticker, man, kind of is all delivered. So even if the build isn't crisp on those at least when you look at the top three on the card like you could say going in it's the strongest top three that like the strongest card we've had and maybe since we've done this show when you look at the top three matches on paper uh yeah i would argue mania 12 but besides that yeah probably well we're the top three brett sean ticker diesel and piper uh, yeah piper goldus yeah i mean i think i'd put these three above those given what we've seen coming in i mean yeah, Sean. I don't Sid know. Sean I, Pratt, I, just feel, I mean, we'll see with the match, but Taker versus Mankind just feels so tacked on. Like, I'm not feeling that at all. Like, I mean, they just had a literal match where you buried somebody alive. I don't right. know why we're rerunning it. I, yeah. I don't. That match feels cold. Um, Sean. But their track record is good. So going in, it's like, okay, well, you assume they're at least going to have like a, a pretty damn good match given Maybe. all the matches. Good. Maybe, but their track records also, I mean, the first match at King of the Ring wasn't that dependent on bells and whistles, but the other two definitely were. Um, So, I don't know, Paul Bear in a cage doesn't exactly evoke a lot of confidence. Oh, we'll see. All right, so best show, I guess we're kind of torn. Uh, yeah. What's the composite, the composite tied as well? I believe Nitro would have a slight advantage. This is what I, well, what did you go on Nitro? 7.5. Oh, okay, that, that half puts it over. All right, uh, best match? Uh, I think that may be... Uh, I think it's Eddie Benoit. Yeah, I think so, based on the... If we add it together. Yeah. Um... All right, Benoit versus Guerrero. Best segment, the face-to-face. Yep. All right, better commentary. We'll go Nitro. Uh, yeah. Even though I like Delwyn. I mean, he's always good, but uh, star of the night, pretty clearly Austin. Yeah. Okay, and then Nitro ratings. Yeah, the ratings weren't great for Raw, actually. Uh, they went from a 2.6 the week before to two, solid two. Oof. Yeah. Uh, which is the lowest they will have. Uh, yeah. So this uh, two. This is their lowest rating besides the holiday stuff, which is a little weird. Like the 1223, 1239 uh, Raws are lower, but a non kind of holiday rating. This is the lowest they have till the uh, infamous uh, March 3rd. 97 okay all right so a little bounce up after this yeah i mean they they slowly but i mean as we talked about like like last week they did get a 2.6 which is the highest they have till right uh like right before wrestlemania 30 or the night after wrestlemania 13 so so they they were kind of i mean i think they were definitely uh intrigue and brett coming back um with that we sort of settled in Right. Um, but but we can see maybe like some uh, small growth spurts. Uh, Nitro did great, three point six. So 
Well, we'll see if maybe the, I wonder if the 8 p.m. start helps for Raw. Um, People may be more apt to skip that first hour of Nitro than the second hour, maybe, so. Maybe. Um, Yeah, we probably should start looking at the composites. The Observer does have both, like what I'm looking at now. This uh, wiki page just has the average of both hours. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Nitro overall, they're they're pretty consistent. Like they're right within three two and three seven. Like Nitro, the ten twenty one Nitro got a three two. That's the lowest they get until eleven eighteen or eleven twenty five. So they're between three one and three seven from here till you know next year. So they're pretty consistent across the board, and we start to see. Yeah, it's it, we're kind of in this. We'll be in this sort of same holding pattern. So we'll just look week to week at the variances from here on out okay. for the next bit. All right. So in two weeks, uh, we'll continue on our trek. We'll have the November fourth edition of Raw Nitro. We'll just get two more Raws before Survivor Series, and of course, it is the first one eight o'clock. It's a pretty famous episode. Um, I think most know it just by the date and what we've talked about. So we'll be yeah. visiting Brian Pillman at home. And then we'll continue to see how Nitro resets itself uh, a few weeks out from World War III. Uh, we'll see how things continue to develop for them. So uh, be sure to check out everything else here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Tons of great content coming at you every day across the spectrum. A lot of evergreen content. A lot of nerd-level, in-the-weeds type stuff for you uh, to share along. And we appreciate all the downloads, all the sharing, and all the listens. So for Chad, I'm JT. Smell the napalm. We'll talk to you in two weeks.